One, our opinions of Timothy Chalamet are coming from two people who haven't seen the movie where he goes to Italy and falls in love with Army Hammer. Is that Ladybird? Welcome to All My Friends Are English Majors, the podcast where I, a business major, make my friends, almost all English majors, read popular fiction with me. Uh, This week, we are concluding Dune Month. We can't do CompCon because we only read one book. So the first time ever, me and a computer science major, boo, will be talking about a movie. You already forgot to do the opening to this that we agreed on, which is that when the Dune movie opens, before the Warner Brothers, like, title card, this is very few movies get to, like, put something before that studio mark. Um, They do the Sardaukar throat singing that we see later in the movie, and it says uh, something along the lines of, like, dreams are messages from the deep. So Emily said that she was going to do some, like, a couple seconds of throat singing to open this. And we'd, we'd try to find a way to put subtitles on, but I'm not the, the podcast expert. So she, I think she was going to figure that part out. So I won't be doing that. And Sam maybe is the biggest liar I've ever had on the pod. It's actually crazy that we've dated this long when you are such a pathological liar. Do you think it's odd that the movie opens with a message that message being sent in the sardaukar language of dreams or messages from the deep yeah why is the sardaukar saying that you know i have to tell you i've not put that much thought into it do you have thoughts about that yeah like the sardaukar are not like presented as an especially like spiritual or superstitious group of people you'd think that like is in the movie. Right. They are presented that way. The Sardaukar? Yeah. I guess the, that's it true. is yeah. the subtitle literally says priest throat singing yes. in the scene where Peter is talking to the Sardaukar and he sings for the entire scene that they are communicating with each other. What and, I don't remember what that scene is. And they have a bunch of men sacrificed bloodletting them so that they can wipe like a little piece of like blood on their forehead yeah. they're clearly an extremely ritualistic society yeah so uh i remember the dune scenes mainly by the sounds that i hear while those scenes are happening oh, so, so, could, if... so could you remind me what which one that is maybe no i won't be doing that okay you tried it a little bit i think you remember what it sounds like it hurt my throat i'm not gonna do it okay well i talked to like 400 customers during workshop today so i won't be doing anything else that's gonna make my throat feel worse than it already does I'm, i just i can't do it i'm gonna bruise my fragile work from home vocal cords oh my god shut the fuck up <laughs> uh i guess i just think that like the opening of the movie would have made more sense if it was something in like the Jacobsa language that the fremen speak yeah that's fair are you sure that the person who, like, wrote the subtitles for the movie just, like, didn't fuck up the two fake languages? 
no one else's throat singing. Oh, that's true. That's true. Okay. So if it wasn't clear, Sam and I watched the Dune movie, and we have some thoughts on it in comparison to the book. And what would have been so nice about doing Dune this month, we can even pretend I planned it this way instead of Sam having to do Dune because someone else couldn't do the next month with me, um, is that Dune was supposed to come out this month. Yeah, it was originally supposed to be like, uh, I think it was only like a few days ago that it was supposed to be. Yeah. Like November 13th or 14th. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess to get the biases out of the way, Dune Part 1 is, and we should be clear, we're, we're watching the uh, 20, what was it, 2021 Dune? Yeah, because it came out when we started dating. Yes. You entered your Dune era, like, while you lived in the Lee Summit apartment right That's after true. we started dating. Because I remember I walked to the Lee Summit movie theater, because I was very close by, and uh, I remember coming back, and I saw it in, like, their the their big screen but it it wasn't like IMAX but it was still the loudest movie I had ever seen up to that point I was very glad that we watched it at home this time because it like I would have I think had to like leave the theater was Oppenheimer too loud yes Oppenheimer was when we saw Oppenheimer in IMAX I thought that was louder than when I saw Dune I will be trying to see Dune Part 2 in the loudest possible environment. So. I'll go with you. Okay. Um, but yeah, I I think that the movie rocks. I've seen it several times. It's, I think, the one movie I own. No, you, Sam does not own this movie. I do own this Sam movie. Sam thinks he owns this movie, but we tried to watch it on YouTube, and it wasn't in his YouTube. I think it was on my other Google account. Because if I look in your stuff in Google TV, what's right there under movies? Dune? Yeah, Dune 2021. Look, I got it pulled up. So let's look at the Dune movie cover. So so we've got huge Timmy. We've got everybody else. Still Gar <laughs> front and center also. Yeah, he's important. Who's walking across the bottom of the screen? Is that Lady Jessica? I think that's Paul. Oh, yeah. Okay. But yeah, I love the movie. I think it's great. There are like two things that I would change about it, which we'll get into. How do you feel about the Marvelfication of the Dune movie poster? It's a movie poster. I am really glad that the movie was not like Marvelified to the point that they're like, they're like quipping all the time. Like there the, are not, this is not a funny movie. No, it takes itself, like, extremely seriously. And I like that in a movie. Well, and I think that's good. Excuse the fucking corgi who lives above us, who doesn't understand that we're trying to record a podcast. I, like, Dune is a book that takes itself seriously. Yeah, for sure. And so I think it would be, like, antithetical to the to the original message of the book for them to be like. And then Paul makes a funny little joke. Yeah, no. It I guess it also helps that like the uh the characters who are not like the Fremen and hardened by having to fight their entire life just to survive are uh 
Paul and Jessica and Kynes who have just seen like who have gone through like really immense trauma. Yeah, very like, very recently. They're not really in in quipping moods. No, Paul and Jessica by about an hour and a half into this two and a half hour movie are like on the run for their lives. They've lost everything. Duke Leto is dead. They know that the only thing that gives them any power at this point is staying alive. Yeah. And, like, they're also going through some, like, really intense turmoil because, like, Paul figures out that he's the, his mother has been shaping him into being the closet's hatterack. Yeah, he's having a bad time. He's having a bad time. I will say, there is a line reading when they are in the tent. That is, like, pure Timothy Chalamet. Yeah. That line, and then the trailer, the part in the trailer where Timothy yells, that's not Hope. That's not Paul. He's not a yeller. No, he's not a yeller. Yeah. He is, like, too much of, like, soft boy Timothy Chalamet. So, like, when he's yelling, you're like, oh, Timmy's acting. Yeah, it's like, not a strong suit. In Little Women... When he is proposing to Joe, mm-hmm. I think he's an incredible Lord. Yeah. Like, I know you think he's a great Paul, but, like, I think he's an incredible Lord. I think he's a pretty good Paul. I think he looks exactly like I expect Paul mm. to. Okay. Um, I, I showed you a two-minute clip from the upcoming Timothy Chalamet movie, Wonka, and I gotta tell you, it's really confirmed what I've been suspecting but hoping not to to fully believe which is that he is not a very good actor actually because his performance as Wonka is like I cannot believe they gave him a whole movie so I have a couple of things to say to you one our opinions of Timothy Chalamet are coming from two people who haven't seen the movie where he goes to Italy and falls in love with Army Hammer. Is that Lady Bird? Isn't oh he, my god, Sam! Isn't he in a, he, he's in a movie called Lady Bird? He is in a Greta Gerwig called Ma- Lady Bird. That is true. It is good of you to know oh, that. Oh, Call Me By Your Name. It's Call Me By Your Name. But it is so another, much funnier. Another Timothy Chalamet movie that I will probably never see. Yeah, Lady Bird is, Bird is definitely for girls. There's, like, a whole scene in it where she's, like, shopping for her prom dress at a thrift store and her mom's outside the door and her mom is really critical of her. And she sticks her head out the door and she goes, Mom, do you like me? And her, they, like, have this little back and forth and then her mom just says, like, I just want you to be your best self. Hmm. Okay. So, like, I would say that, like, at least 50% of the populace at, like, Truman State University of the, like, female populace at Truman State University, were like, ah! Yeah. You're not allowed to say that in a movie. Greta Gerwig. Yeah. Like, family drama television? I'll watch that. Some okay. Some of my favorite shows. The Sopranos? That is a family drama. That's a little bit of a family drama. It's mostly There's family drama. certainly family drama in it. It's about Tony and Carmela. Primarily. Season one is really about Tony and his crazy-ass mother. That's not family drama? That is family drama. Okay, yeah. But family drama in a movie? I don't know if I've seen one that I really liked. 
We'll have to take this off mic because we're not talking about Dune. But I'm gonna, I feel like, I feel like there's, is the Godfather not family drama? Uh, it's not really about conflict between members of the family. Until you get to Godfather 2 and then it kind of is. But mostly the conflict's external. Okay. We have to get back to my beef. Yeah. Like three weeks ago, I said on this podcast, I don't think Timothy Chalamet is a very good actor. And what did you text me today? And on the pod, <laughs> you remembered that I was firmly shot down. I You were like, I think he's really excellent in Dune. I, I think, think he's, he's a good, really good Paul. I think he's a good but pick for Paul. But this is not what you said three weeks ago. Three weeks ago, you were like, I think he's a pretty good actor. I think he's really good in Dune. And what text did I receive today? Shall I pull it up? You don't have to pull it up. Do you want me to pull it up so I can send a screenshot of it to Bailey so she can post it on the pod Instagram with the episode? I said, I don't think Timothy Chalamet is a good actor. I think I also said he's Gal Gadot, but a man. That is what you said. Yeah. I think he's a better actor than than Gal Gadot. I have to tell you, Gal Gadot is like 10,000 times hotter than Timothy Chalamet. Yeah. Have you seen that clip in Wonder Woman where she's leaving the museum and she's walking no. in her beautiful dress? No. Oh my god. Have you seen the clip of her saying like, and enough champagne to fill the Nile? <laughs> I have. I have. That's a worse line read than almost anything Timothy Chalamet's done. The only one worse is his Scratch That Reverse It from the Wonka trailer. I don't remember. I think that I would remember it better if you said it in the cadence. I'll make a pact with you. <laughs> if you do the throat singing, I will do the the Wonka line read. I guess we'll never know. Okay. Um. Not even not even to give the listeners what they want. Sam, you're the only one who wants me to just do the Sardaukar throat singing. All right, leave leave your uh, reviews on Apple Podcasts. Send your DMs to the Instagram if you want to hear Emily do the Sardaukar throat singing. Oh my god. Okay, so I feel like we should pause on the movie for a hot second. Yes. And talk about something that I think is, like, cool and important to note. I think any time that, like, we as a society read a book that has people who are kind of Arab-coded, that also has a big, like, a, like, resource that they get from the desert that makes people off-planet a lot of money. Yeah. We're like, this is about oil. I'm going to stop you for a second here. Because I think... Previously in the podcast, I might have said this, but I definitely said this to you at some point. That you said it while we were riding in the car together. That Frank Herbert did not mean to write it as oil. Which is why we're talking about it. I looked that up earlier tonight. And you were wrong? I was wrong. Oh. Frank Herbert. So it is a really obvious allegory. Though. Kind of. So when Frank Herbert wrote Dune, which was like 1965, one, he was inspired heavily by Lawrence of Arabia. The guy, T.S. Lawrence. Okay. So, like, that's kind of Paul. Right? It's a, it's a very similar story. I don't know if you know much about Lawrence of Arabia. I know a 
lot more actually about um oh i have a book back on my bookshelf it's called the queen of the desert Mm -hmm. um and it is about a woman named gertrude who is friends with lawrence of arabia but she like just like lives in the middle east and moves kind of from siege to siege to siege and she actually is like one of the people who like went to europe and great britain specifically and was like please i am begging you if you cut the middle east up the way that you want to you will ruin everything yeah and then they don't listen to her and then they did because fuck women yeah i was about to say fuck the middle east but like not like that that was like from the like british point of view but like (laughs) i don't feel that way Uh uh-huh um yeah so you know he was he was kind of drawing from from T.S. Lawrence's experience so dune is written similar to a lot of science fiction but it's dissimilar in that it's not technology focused like pretty in the same way that like other science fiction is it's pretty intentionally not technology focused well it specifically takes technology out of the equation right like you can't have the shield the worms will eat you although i have a question about that can we come back to it no okay if they can put the shields up around arakeen yep so that the worms can't go in and the storms can't get in that's the shield okay so that's something that is not explained super well especially in the movie the shield wall is like a physical wall it is not like a repulsor shield the way that like the ship then have how does it keep have. the storms out it's a really big rock wall it's like a natural part of the terrain that like drives storms around. and so they built themselves behind it it's it's a yes. windbreak it's a windbreak but it's also big rocks so the worms can't get through, get through it. oh they explain that like extremely poorly yeah, I think maybe it's in the book a little better, but the book has well, a lot going on. Well, and then that's what's confusing also is because, like, Dr. Yue takes down the shields. He takes down the shields. On the house? On the house. And they can use the shields there because they're behind the shield wall. So the worms can't get in anyways. Okay. Lawrence of Arabia. Okay. Uh, so. OPEC. It's a very. There's not. There's really nothing in there that ties directly to OPEC. But uh, I mean the Chome company. It's just a big corporation. It's closer to like Walmart. They sell everything. It's not just spice. Okay. Got it. Um So when Frank Herbert was writing Dune in the mid nineteen sixties, like um my understanding is that like gasoline and oil specifically did not really have the same sort of like like, it was more abundant, right? It was easier to get to. We had not really considered that, like, natural resources are finite. Yeah, like, we didn't know specifically that, like... I mean, we probably knew, but it wasn't, like, maybe in the public conscience that, like, oil might be a very finite resource. Um, and, you know, some of the politics and, and uh, general population thought about oil isn't like as pervasive as it is today but frank herbert knew that like world conflict in the future would be driven by ecology 
So like changing climates, that sort of stuff. So he, he decided to write a book about ecology uh, as science fiction and specifically like scarcity of resources. So it's not just the spice itself that is an allegory for like oil now. It's um, the lack of water. That oh. water is a very scarce resource and that there's a lot of conflicts on Arrakis because of water, you know? So he wasn't, he wasn't coming out to, his intention was not to write a book about this like hard metaphor for oil specifically, but it, it is a very intentional metaphor for um, like future potential ecological driven struggle on oh. earth. Okay, so like he made an obvious allegory, but it's not the obvious allegory that like we should be taking out of it. Like it's, it's very no, it's close, but it's very surface level to be like spice is oil. But like what he's really trying to say is like, what do we as people need to be thinking about in the world about finite resources and about like the impact that we have on the earth and what the earth will eventually have on us. Yeah, he just he just knew that, you know ecology will as these resources begin to to dwindle like the ecology is going to drive you know demographics and um like international struggle he wanted to write a book about it okay see that's cool so i don't think it's necessarily wrong to read dune and be like oh this is like oil you know, yeah. there's this resource that's being mainly extracted by a non-indigenous group that's making them really rich. And it's at the expense of the indigenous um, group in that area. I think it's OK to to. To to read it and be like, oh, yeah, this applies to oil, but I think it's wrong to say that, like, he specifically wrote it about oil. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay, that's the only thing we're going to talk about with the book. We're all in on the movie now. Right? Yeah, I think so. That's kind of all we have. Yeah, I think everything else we we wanted to talk about in the book, we talked about. Well, and if you want to hear us talk about doing the novel, like, there's three hours worth of episodes for you guys to go back to anytime you'd like. That's true. So... We're going to start with things that are good in the movie, and then our second category will be things that we think could be better, because both of us agree there's not really anything in this adaptation that we think is just, like, straight up bad. Yeah. I have one thing that I liked about the movie that I did not put on this outline here, and I like that there is a little bit of setup on Caladan, because in the book, they're just on a rack. Yes. The move has, like, just happened. Yeah. And then they explain it. But on Caladan, they're like, here's why we have to go. Let's meet all the characters. Here's the Emperor's people, like, forcing them to go. Yeah, they, like, the time on Caladan is spent as, like, real exposition. It's, like, telling you the things you're going, you need to know. I think Caladan really shows Paul's youth also. Yeah. Like, Timothy Chalamet's, what, like, 25, 26? That's a great question. Alexa, how old is Timothy Chalamet? Timothy Chalamet is 
He's 27. Uh, Paul in the book is 15 when it begins. Damn, he's got a baby face. Yeah. Um, But, like, all of that to say, like, I think they especially do a good job of showing Paul's youth. Because, like, and this is something that I really like in the movie, is they show Paul's youth and the importance of the relationships to the men that make an impact later in the novel mm-hmm. in, like, a really concrete way. So, like, the first time he sees Duncan Idaho and gives him that big hug, like, that is, like, a mentor hugging his mentee. And, like, the mentee is a child. Yeah. Like, he's bigger than him. He's stronger than him. Like, the way that they embrace, like, Duncan practically, like, gives him, like, a side hug and lifts him up off the ground. It's, like, very big brother, little brother. Very big brother, little brother. So we meet Duncan. We meet meet Thufir Hawat, which I'm interested to see if Thufir Hawat will be in the second movie, because, like... (laughs) I kind of think he won't. We don't see his ass again. He's gone. He's like, I offer my rec- my my resignation. And Leto Atreides like, no, I need you now. And then we never see Thufir again. We never see him again. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Maybe. I didn't see him in, in the any of the trailers for part two. And he's not on the IMDb in part two. Oh, is he not? I don't think so. Well, that settles it. I don't know who plays him. But... Um... Well, like, he's not listed as a character. Oh, okay. Anywho, like, we see him interact with Thufir Hawat, and we see him interact with Gurney Halleck, and, like, all of them really, like, they know each other, they love each other, they spend all their time together. Like, you really get to see that, whereas in the book you're kind of like, oh, I gotta keep track of all these men. Yeah. Did you know the guy who plays Gurney played Thanos? It's like Josh Brolin. Oh, shit. That's Josh Brolin? Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I was kind of shocked when I first heard that. Because I knew he was, like, kind of familiar and I couldn't place him. I don't know why you always bring up Marvel movies like you've seen them. Because I have... I had seen... Up until the... I don't... What's the name of the first Thanos one? Because there's two of them, right? The second one's Endgame. I don't remember what the first one's called, but I had seen quite a few up until that point. Was it Infinity War? That sounds right. Yeah. I had seen most of them up to that point. But I stopped enjoying them, like, a little bit before that, but I kept going with friends So, like, you watched the snap, you watched Tom Holland say, Mr. Stark, I don't want to go, watched him get dusted, and you were like, I don't need to know anymore? Well, I, I... Hadn't seen the Spider-Man movie that Tom Holland was in. That's why I stopped being interested. Was like I, I watched Infinity War and I had like taken a break for a couple movies and I got in and I was like, "What the hell's going on here? <laughs> I don't understand any of this." And I didn't feel like doing more more homework for it. So that was it. Oh, I was gonna say something that I think is good in the movie, but I forgot what it was. Is it the first thing on this? Oh on this list? no, I was gonna say something that I thought was really funny in the movie, and I'm trying to think of what it was because it gave me a giggle. Oh, when they find Stilgar, yeah, at at the end of the movie, and like they're supposed to feel like they're being watched. Denevil Nev does a couple of, like, really clunky, like, cuts of, like, we can see some people up in the rocks, and then he cuts back to 
to Paul and Jessica, and then suddenly he cuts back again, and there's, like, more people in the rocks. Yeah. But he, like, doesn't do a good job of showing, like, how far away those people are, and they're also not hiding. No, they're not trying to hide at that point. They are trying to hide, like, the first two cutbacks, and then, like, the third cutback, Stilgar's like, and we're here. Yeah. And who are you? I thought that was a very normal part of the movie. I thought that it was, like, a little bit of, like, clunky filmmaking. Okay. Well, we're still talking about the things that were good in the movie. So. But I think things that are funny can be good. Okay. Um... So the first thing on the list, actually, for good in the movie is when Dr. Kynes dies by calling um, a worm and it kills her in Three Sardaukar, which I got to tell you, the woman who plays Dr. Kynes, I think does a very good job. I think so, too. I think Kynes is very good in the movie because in the book... We get a lot of Kynes' internal monologue, yep. whereas in the movie, like, we only see her and see the things that she's saying. Like, that's all we get. Yeah. And so, she saves them, it becomes clear that she's Fremen, and then she goes out and she's got her hooks. She's gonna, she put out a thumper and she's gonna ride a worm, mm-hmm. and then the Sardaukar find her, like, stab her. And then she, laying on the ground, starts hitting the ground in the same rhythm as the thumper. And they're like, you're supposed to serve the emperor. And she says, essentially, like, I am a Fremen. I serve nothing, but I have but one god, and his name is Shai Halud. Yeah. And then the worm comes up and eats all of them, and the worm is Shai Halud. That line read... And the rhythm of her hitting the ground. Yeah. Holy shit. It's a really good scene. It's really good. I also like that they kind of call that she's going to ride the worm with the hooks she's got in her hands. Yeah. Like, that I think we as, like, watchers or people who haven't read the book, like, we get a little bit of foreshadowing, which is really nice. For sure. Um, My favorite thing about the movie? Is the music. The music's really good. So Han Hans Zimmer does it. Hans Zimmer, I have to tell you, has not written his own movie soundtrack in over a decade. Well, he probably at least listens to it and signs off on it, and that's worth something. I love when the acclaimed uh, composer for the hit movie Rango does any movie. Shout out the movie Rango. That's not a joke. I think it's great. Uh... This is Sam's number one wreck during ComCon. The music also pretty good. Rango, very good. Ratatouille, that's another good movie. I don't watch a ton of, like, children's movies, but those are the good ones. Um, at the end of this episode, we're gonna give you your own little platform, and you're gonna do just, um, you're gonna speak on, I'm gonna say a number of Dune Book, and you're gonna tell the listener whether or not they should read it. Okay. We can do that. Um, yeah, so music's great. Listen to this uh, movie as loud as you can bear. Yeah, that's a good description of it, because I can watch it, like, pretty loud, but I could not have watched it, I think, at the volume they were watching in the movies. No, but I would have liked to. You know, I will tell you, 
I watched Dune at home for the first time because I could, because I had HBO Max, and I missed some stuff. Yeah. There were parts that I was like, no way. (laughs) What do you mean? Like, I completely missed the part. I didn't realize that they put Jessica in her Reverend Mother makeup for that, like, singular scene where Paul is having a vision of her and Aaliyah. Yeah. In the movie. Mm -hmm. Did not see that. Was definitely scrolling Twitter. Yeah, I was gonna say, you have a, a kind of specific way of watching a movie. Yes, and? Okay. Uh, <laughs> something else I liked about the movie that uh, drove me a little bit crazy in the book is, like, every time that we get a Jessica perspective internal monologue in the book, she is, like, moments away from a full break. Like, she is almost losing it all the time. And that is really shown in the movie. She's, like, breaking down during the Gamjabar scene. She's breaking down after Paul is like, I know you're pregnant. She's breaking down in the tent. She, I think that's it. After that, she kind of, she kind of solidifies. Well, and like, I think all the breakdowns are good because they also give us a chance to see the Bene Gesserit teachings. And I guess this gets us. Oh, she's breaking down in the, in the Ornithopter in the storm. Yeah. Like, I get it. A lot of bad things have happened to Jessica, but also she's supposed to have, like, supreme control of her of her body and uh, emotional responses. Well, this is when we get into the things that they could have done better in the movie. I think that, like, they're trying to show us the Bene Gesserit teachings by having Jessica, like, recite, essentially, the Lord's Prayer, except its fear is the mind killer. Yeah. Every time she needs to calm down. But, like, what they don't get across in the movie is, like, Paul and Jessica can calm themselves down almost to, like, a molecular level. Like, they, like, they get, like, it's said in the book that they get, like, full muscle control and, like, that kind of thing where they really are in charge of themselves. And you, like, can't really see that in the movie. You just kind of feel like it's someone, like, having a coping mechanism while they're having a panic attack. Yeah, like, they're really good at calming down. But, like, what I put... In the outline was like in the in the book it's like Jimmy Neutron saying brain blast. Like you get to like <laughs> <laughs> you get to like weave on through all those like little purple neurons and like see him have his little idea and then weave back out of the brain blast, you know? Yeah. Like that's what they're doing when they're calming themselves down. Yeah, like Whereas, Jessica can like literally control like the speed that her heart beats in the book. Yeah. You know, so that's part of it. Whereas this one, she's just like, I'm having a panic attack. I said fear is the mind killer. I chilled the fuck out. I know a guy that got the first part of the the Litany Against Fear tattooed. I'm not going to say his name because, well, A, he's not listening. But B, you won't know him. But he did go to Iowa State and he was loosely on the Frisbee team. Okay. That makes sense. I've been thinking a lot about um, what I'm going to write in the card that I um, give to Noel when I leave Family Tree, because I think I'm going to write him a nice little note. You should. And I think that it literally might just say the part from Handmaid's Tale that says, like, Nolite, te bastardum, like, whatever that says, like, don't let the bastards grind you down. But I think I'm going to write it in Latin. Oh, God. 
I don't think he's gonna get it. I don't know. But that's how I feel. Yeah. I mean, I'll write him other nice things, but like, I feel that way specifically about him. Yeah, like you're you're being sent home from war and he's still in the trenches. Yeah, <laughs> like I really feel that way because like it feels like we're the only two people who are there and being like, being here's bad. Yeah. Um. Other things that we could like better in the movie. Um, they don't do the dinner in the movie, which I think is okay because no. I think it would introduce too many people. And it would slow it would slow things down a little too much. Yeah. Like, the first hour and a half of the movie, up until, you know, the end of the Harkonnen raid on Arrakis, we're, like, building. It continues to, like, grow more tense as we begin to see what's about to happen. Which, the Harkonnen raid, they really get across how bad shit is. Yeah, they blow up everything. Whereas in the book, it's, like, a paragraph. And then we go yeah. back to the action of our specific people. Yeah. But I think that Denis Villeneuve made really good choices in this movie to, like, show, like, a desolation and what happened to the Atreides family. Because, like, we, one, we're watching, like, a massive, like, space opera. Like, yeah, we gotta see some shit blow up. We gotta, gotta be a little sword fighter. We gotta see some big ships. Yeah. You know? Like, if we were really just watching the Atreides family drama... And the political drama, like, people would be like, okay, well, like, why do they have to be on Arrakis? Like, why does it have to be in space? Why are they wearing weird outfits? Like, we could just watch a political drama. Um, but I don't know if they got across the importance of water as much as they could have. And I don't know if they, like, how are we going to know why Gurney Halleck became a smuggler? They also cut the whole we think it's Lady Jessica plot, now that I think of it. Yeah, they did. And we also don't get to see Paul do his little politicking. Like, all we really see from Paul is, like, he tries to go talk to a gardener, and the gardener's like, I'm watering these palms. So you shouldn't be out here. You shouldn't be out here, you'll burn up. Which, Paul is too pale to be living on Arrakis. Killed him. Timothy Chalamet does not have the skin of a man who tans. I mean, in uh, in Dune, the Atreides have Greek ancestry, so. Not, Timothy Chalamet does not have Greek ancestry. He's got to be, like, Scandinavian. You're telling me Timothy Chalamet is not Greek? He's French. This is the first time I'm hearing. This is news to me. Oh, my God. Okay. Timothy Ch- Ch- Chalamedos. <laughs> uh-huh. <Chalamettos>. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I just feel like. I understand why he had to cut it, and I get this is part of why Dune is why Dune is so hard to adapt adapt into a film. But like, I still wish like we're we're missing some of the more fun politics. Like nothing is more fun than like watching an extremely tense dinner. Yeah, I there's just there's so much internal dialogue going on in that scene. Like half of that chapter. Is Jessica and Paul, like, something happens, and then they spend, like, twice as long explaining to the reader through their internal dialogue. Yeah, that's true. Why it's important and what happened. Um, I agree. They don't do a great job of showing how important water is. Like, they show how important it is, like, you'll die in a couple hours without a still suit. 
but there's really no part um other than like when Silgar comes to the council and they spit and it's like the gift of the body's moisture like all the things in the book that show that like it is this fremen dream we're like saving up all this water so we can terraform dune and it's not going to be as hellish to live there anymore they don't really do that in the movie and maybe part two of dune will open with them like seeing the water reserves mm. they've got a they've got to ring out Jameis. um that is a nasty way to say preserving the body's water they have to reclaim Jameis's water uh ring out Jameis. jesus christ sam Oh, well, they do kind of mention this when Kynes takes them to the old station. Like, she explains what they were trying to do. Yeah. And makes it clear that the dream is alive. Yeah, but, like, but it's, it's not as strong as in the book. No, you understand less than a third into the book that, like, water is sacred. Yes. And the movie gets it across that, like, water is scarce and a necessity. But it does not get across that, like, like, never do they say, like, your body belongs to you, the water belongs to the tribe, or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I I don't know if they could have done more. I mean, to to turn something into a movie for general audiences, you kind of have to lean a little more into, like, the traditional hero's journey sort of stuff. Well, and the actual action, too. Yeah, exactly. There's very little, like, actual action in the book. I have to say another thing I think is good in the movie. Yeah. Paul, I like the way that they have Paul see the spice. And I like the way they do his visions. Yeah. Like, you know, when I've talked about this on the pod before, you know, the screensavers in Oppenheimer. I knew you were going to bring that up. Like, they could have really made Paul, like, seeing the spice on the air or us seeing the spice on the air, like, very screensavery. Yeah. He did it. He did a good job of making it seem like a magical hallucinogenic substance. Can I say something? You you won't get mad at it. I kind of like the screensaver bits of Oppenheimer. Did you think they made sense? What do you mean made sense? I mean, like it was kind of. It kind of felt like. I mean, maybe I'm just too stupid to enjoy a movie. I mean, I saw them as like a depiction of how Oppenheimer, like, finds beauty in science. Oh my god. Yeah, I'm too stupid to enjoy a movie. <laughs> Who directed it? Christopher Nolan. It kind of felt like Christopher Nolan was just like, and this is a nebula, and this is, like, a weird little thing that looks like DNA, and this is, and you know what? I'm gonna have backers on the pod, because Jess and I literally talked about it when we were texting on the way home. All right. We were literally like, why did he show us all those screensavers? Okay. Well, let's, the real movie heads will come to my defense. We live in a house divided. I'm a bit of a movie head. You're really more into TV. Yeah, I would say so. I, I can't, you're going to leave for like five days to go see your family for Thanksgiving. And I think that every night I will be watching and sobbing along to a, to an episode of Lessons in Chemistry. Yeah. Okay. And I will maybe go see Napoleon over the weekend. You should go see Napoleon because I have no interest in watching Joaquin Phoenix be a freaking bed and then kill a bunch of people. 
what about him and Josephine being freaks outside of them? Like when she's like, I have to show you something, but once you see it, you'll never think, you'll never want anything else. She's talking about her pussy. She is. And then he, he doesn't really say anything and then <laughs> go see the trailer. It is funny how he just like very slowly tilts his head down to look. It's, it, it's <laughs> weird. They were freaks. Napoleon sent a letter to Josephine and was like, I'll be home in three, three days. Don't wash. Don't wash. That's freaky. That's stinky. Yeah. I would, I think he would argue it's musty. Oh, sorry. It's an audio medium. I was really making a face. You know, I have that picture of that toddler, Chloe. No. From like 15 years ago. Bailey does. That's what matters. Here. <laughs> Looking up Chloe. It's it's just gonna be a face. Oh. Is that what she looks like though? No, that's Chloe Grace Moretz. That's an actress. You're just making up names at this point. No, I'm not! She looks like Florence Pugh's like cousin. That's a really good description, babe. That's good job. Thank you. <laughs> that, no, that's really good. Okay. Sick. Okay. Um, speaking of water. Yes. So I was just thinking about this, a thing that I would have liked to see in the movie, because I think that it might be at the beginning of part two, like when they see the the big water reservoir in the siege. I think a really important scene in the book is um when Jameis has just been killed in the duel with Paul. And they're doing the like who is who who are the friends of Janus and they like claim his his stuff and Paul takes uh the instrument, the musical instrument from Jameis, and says, like, I was a friend of Jameis, he fought well. Um and then cries, gives water to the dead, which is really um unheard of act for the Fremen. And I think that it's possible that part two of the book starts with that. Because they have Jameis's body in the very last scene of part one. They're taking it to the siege so they can, you know, squeeze the sponge that was Jameis. Ugh, Samuel. Samuel. But I, if, if that scene does not make either movie, I think I'll be disappointed. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that they are not doing a good job of showing, like... Like, rituals exist in society often for, like, really normal reasons. Yeah. Like, people are not just making up, like, crazy religious ceremonies for no reason. Like, that's kind of the definition of, like, a cult. Mm-hmm. Is, like, there is, like, no societal precedent or necessity like, it's just, like, one dude being, like, this is our... Wouldn't it be cool if we had a full drum set for mass? Like, that sort of thing? No, like, I'm thinking of the, like, the, like, guy who made everybody drink all the Kool-Aid. And then they all died. I think you lost me. Sam clearly is, like, not listening to the same podcasts as me. Like, I know Jonestown. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, like, I so guess what I'm saying. No reason that he did that. No. Are you trying to say that like societal traditions have logical backing, or they don't? I'm trying to say that they do. They do. And the illogical ones tend to be cults. Uh, I'll have to think about that some more. I mean, I'm saying that in terms of, like, major world religions, or, like, like, legitimate, legit, like, like, for legitimate cultures. Like, I'm trying to say, like, religion in, like, a culture that, like, like, that an anthropologist would study, like, tends to have some sort of concrete reason behind it whereas cults are like this is our rule because this is our rule yeah so in like there are a couple things i think in in leviticus the old testament that fit this so there's one chapter it's always dangerous when a man brings up leviticus to his girlfriend so there's are you gonna talk about ephesians next no uh, so there's a part in Leviticus where it, it literally just like lists out all the animals you shouldn't eat mm. that are unclean because it's like don't eat vultures, don't eat uh, don't eat hogs, don't eat uh, don't eat like fish without scales. And I think the idea was that like these are animals that are gonna get you sick if you eat them or like get parasites. Uh, there's the part where they say. Uh, and I might not have the numbers exactly right on this, but it's like, uh, when a woman has her period, she should be like quarantined for seven days. I think that makes sense because it's gross. And, uh, (laughs) yeah, I think there are some logical, like backing Uh behind these sorts Uh of like religious rules that eventually make it into Leviticus. Well, I think specifically like blood like is unclean. Yeah, and there are, like, rules in Leviticus about, like, what should happen to someone after they've had, like, a wound treated. Yeah. Is you're supposed to kind of be by yourself for a while. That's a classic, um, we don't know what germ theory is, but we know it's important. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's like, we've kind of figured out that stuff seems to jump, 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 jump. So maybe to keep stuff from jump, 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 jumping, we just put people by themselves. Yeah, but not because of germs, but because you just have, like, bad vibes. That you're gonna spread. You're dirty. Yeah. You have too much bile. Oh my god. Okay. What's your next beef? Sam and I disagree on this. We, really? I th- Would you consider me to enjoy things that are kind of cheesy? No. Of course, no. What? No. Oh my god. Okay, so Sam, <laughs> what I'm getting at... Is I love how much this movie says desert power. It drives me insane. I think it's so fun. Like, like when, like, when Duke Leto is like, desert power, we need to harness desert power. Or something cool happens, he's like, desert power. I'm like, hell yeah, Duke Leto, that is desert power. You're so right for that. I think they say desert power as much in the movie as they do in the book. And the book is way longer. Like, it makes sense in the book when they say it, because you've got so much time between when you read it. But in the movie, they're like, desert power, desert power, desert power. Like, they hit you back to back to back with it. And it's like, oh my god, shut up. Like, when I first saw this movie, I complained about that to a friend who had read Dune, I think, a very long time ago. And he was like, 
yeah, I don't know why they say desert power so much in the movie. Like, they don't say it at all in the book. And I'm like, wow, that doesn't make sense. Because, like, that's so lame that they would put it in the movie that much. Uh, he was lying. They do say it in the book. And it's way more bearable. So, I think that they kind of have to do it. Specifically, I'm going to defend it. Because you don't get as many conversations between Duke Leto and Duncan and Gurney and Thufir Hawat about how they need to recruit the Fremen. They don't even tell you why the Fremen are such good fighters in the movie. Like, although, the Fremen coming out of the sand. Very cool. So sick. Love it. So cool. But, like, in the book you get, like, ten different conversations about them being like, okay, how many Fremen bodies would we need to take on the Harkonnens when this inevitably happens? Yeah. Like, they have a lot of... Thufir Hawat is a lot more present in part one of the book, and he's like, here's the math, over and over and over again. Yeah. And since they don't do that in the movie, they kind of do have to make it clear in, like, a quick way that the way to harness Arrakis is to... I don't want to say harness or use the Fremen, because that is what... That is what they're looking to do. That is what they are looking to do, but I think they're looking for it to be more of a symbiotic relationship than it was with the Harkonnens and the Fremen. Yeah. Not that much more. Damn, that's probably true. I just want to believe that, um... What's the name of the guy who plays Duke Leto? Oscar Isaac. I just want to believe that Oscar Isaac, like, wouldn't do that. You're right. Am I? Yeah. There's a, there's a reggae artist that I like that has a very similar name. He sings the song Night Nurse. My white boyfriend admitting that there is a reggae artist he spends a lot of time listening to Dangerous. Okay. Sorry, I, I don't have a, I'm not locked into only like, my ethnicity of music. Like, you. Yeah, that's pretty true about You only me. listen to music by... White women? Like, fragile white men. <laughs> I don't listen to any men. Noah Kahan. Okay, yeah, that's Harry so Styles. Fair. I haven't listened to Harry Styles in, like, a year. He shaved his head. I haven't seen it. I think it. he's balding. People think that he's been wearing a wig for, like, years. I mean, maybe. It's possible. I mean, you can't... You can't be Harry Styles and have, like, a bad hairline. Well, like, Harry Styles has enough money for, like, plugs and, like, all the treatment in the world. Yeah, I guess. But, like, his whole thing is looking androgynous at this point, right? Yeah, but, like, yeah, that is his whole thing. Okay, so you're anti-desert power. I'm pro-desert power. Yeah, if they say it again in the second movie more than once, that will make me mad. Ooh, let's talk about things we're excited for in the second uh, second movie part, which we can yeah. keep short because we're almost at an hour. But I think the choice to do uh, the Fade Rotha gladiator scenes, the scenes in Gady Prime in black and white, very cool. Sick. Very cool. I'm excited to see what sort of accent work Austin Butler decides to do. You know... Baron Harkonnen and Ravon speak very normally. That's just Dave Bautista's voice. That's true. I don't think they'll have an accent, but he looks weird. 
He's gonna look very strange. He is gonna look weird. They gave him, like, a big old goose egg head. And they, like, shaved his eyebrows. Yeah. He's got no hair. I don't even know if he has eyelashes. I don't think so. Yeah. Which, like, that's a lot harder to get rid of than, um... They might have painted them really, really bright white. Maybe, and then just did, did some things in post. Yeah. Yeah. I think that'll be cool. I'm excited to see how they make Florence Pugh's role bigger. I hope they don't. Well, here's the thing, though. She goes to her father and says Paul Atreides is alive. Yep. And she puts on armor. You're going to put Florence Pugh in armor and then, like, not have her, like, wave a little sword around? She's not going to fight. That looked very ceremonial to me. Do you think that they're going to have two-year-old Aaliyah fight and kill Baron Harkonnen? I hope so. I hope we have the freakiest Renesmee situation going on. I think that Aaliyah will be vastly altered in the movie. Do you think they're going to extend the timeline? Do you think they're going to have it be, like, five years down the line? Uh... Yes. Or they'll be like, the spice makes you age faster. I think that at the end of the movie, Aaliyah will not be a toddler. She will either be like a six-year-old where they can get an actual like child to play Aaliyah. Because you can't, get, can't really get like a toddler to do a whole lot on a movie set. Not well. You don't think they can get a toddler to like pretend to trip and fall and then kill Baron Harkonnen with the Gom Jabbar? I don't think so. Or she, Aaliyah is like going to be a literal infant when the movie ends. Oh. I don't think that they're going to make Aaliyah this, like, abomination that... Because I don't think that they're going to be able to explain all of Jessica's, like, I can... I, like, genetic memory stuff that happens when the Reverend Mother passes on her... Yeah, they are. ...her memories. You think so? That's... It's it's all very internal. Yeah, but, like, book. you literally... Like, it's the same way that we're seeing Paul's spice visions. It's a little different. Like, Paul's, like, Paul's, like, ability to see the future a little bit is easy to set up to an audience. Because it's like, here are these things that might happen. They don't always happen this way. But how are they going to show that, like, Jessica... They're going to Avatar The Last it? Airbender it. Oh, you think she's going to, like, look down the line? Yeah. They're all going to have glowing eyes? No. Well, blue eyes. But, um, if they're all painted the way that Jessica is painted... Yeah, that's fair. They could just have the, like, her, like, seeing back, like, yeah. lines and lines of women with tattooed faces. Yeah. I just, I think Aaliyah's gonna get a little bit of the foo-fear treatment. But, if, well, yeah. I don't, I don't know. know. They showed Jessica holding her in the first movie, and that was a big-ass baby. Like, she was really holding it like it was a baby, and I was like, that baby does not want to be held like that anymore. Jessica's not that big. That's true. Oh, a good part of this movie, I think the woman who plays Jessica is amazing. She does a really good job. She does a really good job. She's kind of freaky. And Jessica's kind of freaky. Jessica is kind of freaky. Yeah. Let's see, what else are we excited for? Do you think it's whack of of Duke Leto in the movie right before um, the scene where he is captured by Dr. Yue to say, I should have married you? To Jessica, when he very well still could do it. I think we are supposed to, like, as viewers, 
I I wonder if Denis Villeneuve was trying to add just like one more layer in there. Like yeah. we're really one supposed to under, understand that she was the concubine, which makes me think that he maybe will marry Princess Roland at the end. Oh, he will. You think? He does in the book. Yeah, Chani isn't played by Zen Zendaya. It's really important that he marries Princess Irulan because that's how he becomes the emperor. Like, legally. Yeah, that's true. You know? I think but, like, they aren't really... They didn't exactly explain the Chome company. They didn't explain Chome, but they when they get to the testing station, Paul's like, the emperor has no sons, only daughters. I can marry and... That's true. That was kind of crazy of him to put it in this movie. Um, I think it was needed exposition. I think so, too. That's like, they true. had to have some sort of plan. That they're working towards, right? Because at that point, they're like, okay, well, maybe this could work, Paul. Let's get you off planet. And then they find the Fremen. And uh, Jessica's still like, Paul's got to get off world right at the end of the, the movie. And Paul's like, no, I'm staying here. We're, we make our stand. I've my seen fa- it. My I... father talked about desert power. That was like pretty close to Timmy. I had to throw a, like a little bit of Texas in it. He, like forms his weird his words with his mouth really weirdly. Yeah. Um, okay, Sam. So you would recommend Dune One? Yes. Would you also recommend reading Dune Messiah? I'm gonna tell you yes and why. Spoilers, I'm also gonna recommend three and four. Three won't make any sense unless you read two. Four won't make any sense unless you read three. Two's short. So it's a Two's series? actually pretty good. Two, I think, out of all of them, might benefit the most from a reread, because there's just a lot going on. There's even a foreword to it, written by Brian Herbert, Frank's son, that's like, this book was not received very well. Like, a lot of people don't like it, but I think it's good. And I think it's fine. It's, uh... I think maybe the reason it's not as beloved is Dune 1 is is kind of the exception in the way that it's written. It's the most, like, of an adventure. It's the most of a, a journey. Yeah. It's probably the easiest to understand front to back. Um, and it only becomes more philosophical as you continue on until books 5 and 6 and then, like, it starts trading some philosophical for getting a little horned up. Um, yeah, okay. Five and six. You should read those if you had a great time with four. And three and two and one. But if you finish book four and you're like, I feel good here. I don't think you gotta read five and six. Which would be Heretics of Dune and Chapter House Dune. So do they all have Dune in the title? They do. Confusing. Yeah. No, I mean, not really. Uh, you just bought a, a bunch of a, of a, of books from a series and they all have of in the name. Do you understand, like, the difference in, like, type of speech between the word Dune and the word of? No. BRB, calling Betsy, getting my grammar expert on. Of is it? To explain the difference between a noun and... I don't even know what of is. 
I'm trying to think of what it is in French. I think that it's... Because I know my parts of speech in French better than I know them in English, because you've got to... Let me ask our producer. Alexa, what kind of word is of? Part of speech. Say part of speech. Alexa, what part of speech is the word of? She cares about herself only. She'll just start chatting sometimes. Okay, Sam, we're at an hour and four minutes. Do you have any book recs book that are different recs. than your than your book recs from Hateful Coworker Month? Uh, yes, I have read some books since then. I've read more of the Expanse books. I think it's great. I am currently on book seven. Uh, I like the book series that begins with The Passage by Justin Cronin. It's kind of a a horror. Uh. I guess kind of sci-fi, especially in books two and three. It's it's more apocalyptic, I guess. It's set in our world. It's Stephen King-esque. But I don't tend to like Stephen King books all that much. But this one's good. Um, I read A Confederacy of Dunces by some dude who like died before the book was published. Hell yeah. Um, that was a fun little romp. It's a nice little comedy book. Okay. Uh, I've read War and Peace since the last time I was on the podcast. Uh, it's an excellent book. It is a commitment. Um, I'm glad I read it. Does everyone need to read it? Probably not. I won't be reading it. If you read like a hundred pages of it and it's not for you, cut your losses. But I really liked it. Have I read anything else? I've read, I read Wise Guy which is the book that the movie Goodfellas is based on. You should read that, Emily. It's very quick. And I'd like it? I think you'd like it. It's it's a very... Uh, it's written well. I like it. I recently saw the movie Killers of the Flower Moon. That was excellent. Recommend that to everyone, basically. Are you going to read the book? At some point, yeah. David Grand, the author of that book, also did a book about uh, a ship. In like the 1800s. And I've heard that that is Scorsese's next film. Hot dog. He's going to make a a naval film. (sighs) I will be there no matter what. (laughs) Do you have any book recs? I don't really have any recs. I've been trying to think of things that like fit with like a Messiah story and a hero's journey that are also like more Dooney and less the kind of stuff that I, like, read really consistently. Should others read Fifth Wing? Okay, so I read, um, the first two Fourth Wing books, because I bought them at Costco. Fourth Wing and Fifth Wing. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Also known as Iron Flame. I had a really good time, but, like, it is, like, pure smutty book talk fantasy. Right on. And you will notice that I said smutty before I said fantasy. However, I don't think the writing in book two is very good. Like, the writing itself is not very good. And, like, the characters are, like, kind of annoying. Sick. Like, the whole time... So, spoilers for Fifth Wing. Um, You mean Iron Flame? I do mean Iron Flame. Just in case people really do get mad at me. Um, (laughs) Skip the next, like, two minutes. I have a small rant. So, at the end of book one... Violet is in love with this guy who whose dad was killed for leading a revolution and he was allowed to enter the like Dragon Academy for 
like, with a couple of stipulations. And he has been, like, stealing weaponry to fund the next revolution. Sick. And he doesn't tell Violet about it, even though they're dating, because her mom's the fucking general of the army. That is messy. And so she's like, you don't trust me with anything. How can I ever trust you again? You kept this big secret from me. Fuck yeah, he did. And I'd do it again. Like, your mom's the fucking general of the army. And, like, I'm stealing weapons from her. Yeah, I didn't tell you. And I won't tell you. Like, what the fuck are we saying? Like, why are you so mad at him? Okay, sorry. Hold on. Fifth wing's done. Okay, I have one more sci-fi rec. Oh, okay. Uh, I haven't read it. My dad liked The Three-Body Problem, written by a Chinese author. Heard it's translated well. Uh, I know one other person who's read it. I haven't asked him if he liked it, but there you go. I intend to read it at some point. Nice. Do you think this is the most ramble, like rambling episode of this podcast you've ever done? I mean, kind of, but I felt like it was chatty. I felt like it was fun. I feel like we went on a lot of tangents. I, um... You still haven't throat throat sang? I won't be throat singing. However, in my defense, it is workshop weekend. And I have taught, like, 40 people in the last two days how to build a greens pot, which is actually kind of hard. And I have had, like, the most difficult ticketing situations of anyone in the greenhouse because... Today, today, someone asked me if I could put two and a half pots on their ticket because they were trying to split it five of them with their coworker. <laughs> That's funny. And I said, no. How do I charge you for a half green spot? I said, no, there's one barcode. It's for $70. <laughs> and they'll, you can Venmo her. <laughs> so... Anyway, this has been All My Friends Are English Majors. Next month, my friend Mo will be on. She is the only person I've ever had on the podcast who likes romance novels more than me. So we're going to be doing Bodyguard Month. Let's go. We'll be reading, starting with a book called The Bodyguard. Shocker. That's crazy. That's crazy. Um, And we'll go from there. Thanks for coming on Dune Month, babe. I have a final offer. Hopefully I'll see you around. I have a final offer. Okay. If if you do the throat singing, I'll say it was me. It's audio they won't know. Okay. Bye, everybody. Follow us on Instagram. Send us an email, englishmajorspod or englishmajorspod at gmail.com. Write a review. Bye.